Brenda Lane. An Underpinnings podcast is presented by Frederick and Kimberly's Aveda Salon in St. Joseph and Meister Witkowski Photography in Stevensville. Also sponsored by Full Circle Cafe and Espresso Bar in Stevensville. Hey, it's Brenda Lane. Question, who's one of the most passionate wedding photographers in the area, having photographed over 650 weddings and literally written not one, but two books on bridal photography and beauty? Who went from camera assistant at her professional photographer parents' knees as a child to chief photographer and now owner of the business? If you said Amy Witkowski of Meister Witkowski Photography in Stevensville, you're right. And that experience makes her ultra qualified for senior, baby, family, special occasion, corporate, product, and website photos as well. That's why Amy was my choice for my son's newborn pictures 19 years ago and just recently for Underpinnings Marketing. You can trust Amy Witkowski with your photo legacy. I did. Meister Witkowski Photography, Stevensville. Visit MeisterWitkowskiPhoto.com. This is Brenda Lane, and today in uh, the shelter at home version still of uh, an underpinnings podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Ron Goldie. He is from the Michigan State University Extension Office, where he serves as a senior extension educator. Dr. Goldie, we have quite a, a history of keeping people in Southwest Michigan aware of what's happening on the, uh, the local farmer front and the agriculture front. Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do kind of day to day in, you know, in your position with the Michigan State University Extension. Okay, well, welcome back, Brenda. It's been a while since the two of us have talked, and yeah. a, a lot has changed since then. <clears throat> Not, but my, my job responsibilities pretty much stay the same. Uh, I am responsible for working with the vegetable industry, not only locally, but really throughout the state of Michigan. Uh, also, being at the research station here, I do some applied field-oriented research for vegetable crops, looking at new varieties, new technologies, new crops for the area. Uh, also working with irrigation, nutrition, and anything really that's involved with uh, vegetable production. And when you say here, you're talking about the Extension Center in Benton Harbor. Uh, yes, uh, out on the corner of Napier and Hillendale. Mm -hmm. And how <laughs> has the lockdown orders changed the way you work day to day? Are you still going to your office? Well, yes, I'm going to my office. Had to get special permission to do that, uh, to travel, of course. Uh, but basically, I come to the office and close the door uh, and do computer work. Uh, although I have planned for trials for this summer at the station, and I had to get special permission to do that as well. Um, and a lot of universities around the country are just not doing trials this year. They're just saying we're not doing them. Uh, we can't uh, travel without permission uh, out of state or in state even until uh, the governor lifts things. Um, but the other thing it's done to us, not only has it restricted it that way, but uh, the budgets now are being severely affected. So our travel budgets may not even be there if we can travel. When you talk about trials, can you tell us the types of trials that you will be able to continue doing at the Benton Harbor Extension Center? Uh, there are research trials on new varieties, so there'll be trials on peppers, both uh, sweet bell peppers and then what we call specialty peppers, jalapenos, habaneros, banana peppers. Uh, 
that group of peppers. So I'll have two separate trials on those. Uh, I'll have a, a fertilizer trial looking at the effect of uh, nitrogen rates on tomatoes and peppers. Uh, I will also have some industry trials working with a seed company where I uh, they, they contract with me to uh, grow some of their latest selections to see how well they will do here uh, and eventually be released to the Michigan and industry and other states as well. So those kind of things. Well, we live in a very heavy uh, agricultural area, so it's probably no surprise for a lot of people that might be listening that there is such a connection between agriculture and farming and science. But my guess is possibly people, uh, especially even, you know, school children in, in more urban areas may not really realize the connection between science and agriculture. Uh, yes, a lot of science in, agri in agriculture. Uh, a lot of scientific developments uh, are, have originated through agriculture that have then gone out to the rest of the population as well. Uh, the whole area of statistics, if you've heard of that, uh, originated in agriculture uh, to really, really find out. Yeah, to find out what the what the true difference is between different treatments, and that originated uh, at NC State, North Carolina State, in agriculture. Um, and, and so that you know the rest of the the rest of the world owes agriculture at least that as well as their food source so yes a lot of science goes into agriculture especially uh in the united states where you know a lot of the easy things have been done in agriculture in the united states uh, and so now we're using science to do some of the more difficult things that uh, require more testing and more evaluation um, and just, just looking at it with a, a finer tooth comb, if you want to look at it that way. Well, my original plan when I contacted you, Dr. Goldie, to, to, to be a guest on the podcast today was to talk to you about, you know, about coronavirus and COVID-19 and how this whole, you know, shelter in place and, and how this episode that's happening and affecting our, our health our world, our economies, how that's also affecting the world of agriculture. Um, but based on the timing, I'd also today not only like to address that, but maybe talk about the recent um, very cold weather and the freeze weather that we've had in the evenings and, and how that is also going to combine to affect our farmers probably in a negative way over the course of the year. So knowing that, I'll, I'll let you decide where you want to start. Which one first? Well, uh, back up just a little bit, too, is that our, our farming industry is in difficult situation to begin with. So to have... Because we were already coming off of a pretty rough year last year. Well, last year, plus the, the uh, farming income is way down uh, from what it has been uh, in the past. Uh, it's very difficult uh, these days to, to, to be a farmer and to make a living at it. Mm -hmm. um, so let's do the the quickest one first, and that would be the okay. the most the most recent freeze that we had here. Uh, okay. Looking at it and break, breaking it into two different categories: fruits and vegetables. Let's go with vegetables first, since that's the one I work with. Um, asparagus uh, did get frozen, and but that is just a temporary setback because uh, you know spears keep emerging from those crowns, and so probably we'll have some. Um, limited supplies by this weekend, but 
uh, with the warmer weather predicted, we'll be back into volume full production by early to mid next week. So you'll okay. be able to get your Michigan asparagus again. Right. The other well, thing that did be able to give people some good news these days. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, other thing that happened vegetable wise is that there were some transplants out there uh, and some direct seeded uh, crops that had started to pop through the ground. And many of those got burned off with the cold because uh, it got down to 19 in some areas here. The, the cold temperatures around the area were 19 to 27. And anything below 27 is 27 and below is going to hurt uh, vegetable crops that are there. But from the vegetable standpoint, uh, vegetable growers can just replant. Okay, so and they started doing that Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and so much of that probably has been done with the Wednesday being nice. And so they probably are uh, have recovered from those early plantings um, and then starting to move on to the next planting. So vegetable-wise, uh, as a vegetable grower, it's not as serious as a fruit grower because a fruit grower, you know, five minutes at the wrong temperature and you're done for the year. And that's basically what happened uh, the other night. We had more than five minutes, uh, but the crops that we grow in this area uh, cherries, plums, uh, both sweet cherries and tart cherries, plums, and peaches were seriously hurt. Uh, now, serious means uh, you know, completely wiped out on some sites to a partial crop on others. I don't think anybody in those with those crops are going to have a full crop. And didn't uh, the same thing happen last year to peaches? Uh, same thing happened, but for a different reason. Uh, last year, it was a midwinter temperature that, that caused the problem, not a spring freeze. Okay. Uh, this, this year, it was a spring freeze. Uh, and so those crops have been seriously hurt. Um, blueberries are mostly okay, from what I hear. Uh, there's some damage, but blueberries uh, can recover to a certain extent because the berries that are left will just get bigger. Okay, So that, that's a benefit that blueberries have. Okay. Um, so there's probably some damage on some of the lower, poorer sites, uh, probably sites that shouldn't be planted possibly anyway. Um, then uh, juice grapes were hurt to some extent. Uh, juice grapes being the white Niagara and the purple concords, but they can recover to some extent as well uh, because they have uh, secondary buds, they're called, that can take the place of that primary bud. So those secondary buds will now start to grow. And so there will be uh, a crop on, on those, but probably just slightly reduced. What about the wine uh, grapes? Wine grapes seem to be okay because they wake up a little bit later than what um, the juice grapes do, and so from what we think is that uh, they will mostly be okay. Uh, and the other one we have left that's big in this area is apples, and probably those have been hurt to a limited extent as well, especially those that bloomed early, uh, Gala being the, one of the more popular ones that bloomed early, so there's some damage there. So there isn't really a fruit crop that that got away with no damage, uh, but there are some that were more heavily damaged than the others. And a lot of that damage depended on 
your site. You know, if you had a good a good site being one that is high and has good air drainage, it's called where cold air can uh, cold air is heavier than warm air, so the cold air uh, flows down into the lower areas. And so, if you're on a high site, a high hill, you probably experience less damage than if you were lower. Okay. And there okay. are there are certain things that some some of the farmers were able to do to help mitigate or or minimize the effects of the temperature on their crops, right? Well, the only crop that that really has a good benefit from that is you can do it on blueberries. I don't know if anybody, it's with the irrigation. You turn your overhead irrigation on. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep putting water out there, it doesn't go below 32. Okay, as long as water keeps flowing, uh, as long as you have liquid water, it may freeze, but you may have liquid water on the surface of that ice uh, it will be at 32, and that is more more often used in strawberries. Okay. And uh, strawberries should should not have an issue. Oh, okay. Well, I thought also that keeping air movement or kind of keeping a, a wind movement going is also something that can be done. Is that is that correct or not? Yeah, you can. But the the as low as the temperatures were, uh, there wasn't the air above wasn't that much. Um, colder okay or excuse me not that not that much warmer and so what you're doing with those wind machines is you're bringing that you're moving the wind around keep so it doesn't have a still situation and hopefully you're bringing some of the warmer air that's that's up higher down down. yeah yep and but it was so cold that there that higher air wasn't that much warmer okay um so and there were some areas the wind was kind of out of the north too i was checking it before I went to bed, it was out of the north, and it's north northwest is best because then it goes across Lake Michigan and can be heated up by the lake. But when it comes straight out of the north, in our area of the state, it comes across the western part of land of this and not across water, and so that's probably what led to uh, the temperatures getting so low. Because I know at my house in Stevensville. Uh, we must have got some clouds because I only got to 35 in Stevensville. So closer to the lake, uh, it was warmer than it was further away. Mm-hmm. Okay. The coldest temperatures were were really around the Hartford area. And just the same place that sometimes really gets the the big snow pileups when we get the the lake effect snow. Right. Yeah. Yep. Just think. Yeah. Think lake effect, and you you see where the colder temperatures were. So let's move on a little bit to how the whole coronavirus effect is going to be touching farmers and local agriculture. Okay. Uh, Interesting that you should call and ask me to do this at this time because I just wrote an article that was published yesterday directed more at consumers because consumers are going to be affected as well uh, and not just farmers. Yeah, I mean, we're, um, we're already feeling it in general at the grocery store as consumers. And, you know, produce is, you know, is going to be a contributor to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, p- part of that that we experienced in March and April was due to the sudden shift in uh, the food channel. Okay. And people don't realize the difference between eating out and eating at home, I don't think. Uh, and a lot of over half of the money spent on food in the United States now is spent eating out. 
It's hard to believe. Or at least pre, uh, but pre every, you're talking about pre-coronavirus, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. Pre-coronavirus. Uh, the average person ate out like four to five times a week. Okay. Uh, Pre-COVID-19. Okay. And when you shift from restaurant food to home-based food, it's a big shift. You know, the, they're sending a lot of uh, fresh vegetables that are then uh, prepared into restaurants by the, the restaurant owners. Whereas at home, you know, pe people go to restaurants so they don't have to prepare food. Right. Okay. Now at home, you have to take that food and prepare it. And so there's a different mindset doing that at home. So, so a lot of things had to shift by doing that. And for a lot of people, home cooking is buying something in the frozen food section and taking it home and warming it up. Okay. Right. That's their idea. That's their idea of home cooking. It's not where you buy all the scratch items of peppers and tomatoes and squash, all those fresh vegetables, take them home, cut them up, you know, wash them, cut them up, and then make it into a dish. Uh, you know, the, not a lot of people are, do that. Now, some do, but, but more are going to buy that pre-made item, bring it home, and uh, warm it up in their oven. You know, that's their idea of cooking. Uh, and I may have offended some people by saying that, but that's, that's the way it is. Not me, not me. Uh, so My idea of cooking is putting cereal in a bowl and then pouring milk over it. So okay. you're not offending me, right. and I know that there, you know, there are other people out there that aren't, that, you know, that that don't feel like they have to be a good cook to still be a good person. So that's right. That's right. I, I'm not saying anything about their, their, their person. Exactly. Okay? We're just, just talking about cooking. Basically, what you're yep. talking about here is it's like a, it's a supply chain issue because. Um, right. You know, when you buy eggs at the store, it's one way. But when eggs would be provided, say, to a restaurant, it's a whole different kind of packaging. It's a whole different way of supplying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you buy for a restaurant buys eggs by the by the uh, probably gross. Probably you know, they have 12. They have 12 yeah. They have 12 dozen in a, in a box where. People at home don't do that. Right. They buy, you know, a dozen at the most, yeah. maybe two dozen. Or even a half a okay. dozen. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. And so things have had, had to switch. Now, what that what that means is that the grocery stores by now are starting to, to make that switch. The suppliers are starting to make that switch. So you're not seeing the empty shelves like you saw before. Right. Okay, so that, that switch is, is taking place. The other thing that, that's come up now, though, is that it really gives us a glimpse of how centralized our food system is. Uh, we see that in the meat packing industry where there are probably eight to 10 large meat packing places in the United States. Okay? And when there's a problem at those meat packing facilities, it's a significant portion of the meat that makes it out to the consumer. And so if that plant has to shut down, then that means that somebody is short and so we've seen some of that. And so how things will change in the future, it would be nice to see if we decentralize some of that uh, type of operation and that we had more of these plants around the country so that when something does go wrong in one plant, uh, it's not doesn't have the dramatic effect that other plants do, uh, that other things would have. Okay, the, the thing that might happen, though, is that you'll probably start seeing fewer cuts of meat in the grocery store 
And to me, that's okay because I, I would take a whole chicken and cut it up myself. Okay. Okay. But a lot of people, a lot of people would look at a whole chicken and say, you know, where do I make these cuts? That's me. You know, they just don't know. Yeah. Okay. That's me. They just don't know. Okay. And so that that's this is a shortcoming that that has developed in our society probably in one generation. I bet your mother knew how to do it. Yeah. Or your dad knew how to do yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. But it's just happened in a short length of time. You know, we've taken all the decision making out of our, our food preparation. So that may change. Um, other things I think are going to change is that I think people are going to look at things more locally and start buying more local products. Um, because this is a summer when people probably are not going to travel very much. Right. At least not, not travel very far. You know, in our area, we probably will get the Chicago traffic. Okay, they'll probably come over for the day or the weekend, but I doubt many people are going to take a long trip either because of government restrictions or self restrictions. You know, they're just not going to feel safe to take a long trip yet. I know personally, I was supposed to be hiking the Grand Canyon this week. Mm. Okay, but but I've had to cancel that uh, trip. So my my two boys and I were going to go hiking. Um, so we've had to cancel, and there's probably going to be a lot of that. And so I think what I think is going to happen is that there's going to be more interest in making a stop at a farmer's market or a local farming stand as part of a traveling event. Um, you know, we'll see a lot of events canceled, which we've already seen in this area. Uh, you know, 4th of July fireworks, uh, other things that are canceled. And so people are going to be looking for an outing, and this could be part of their event that they go and, and take take advantage Interesting. of. But they're all yeah, but they're also going to see some changes at these farmers markets. There's going to be uh, some social distancing regulations that are going to have to take place. Uh, so those will probably still be in effect. Uh, perhaps wearing of masks even during the summer because uh, and probably get your items and, and not stick around. They probably won't have uh, music where you would stand around and listen to the music. So expect changes uh, this summer and those kind of things. What about when you're uh, actually, getting back to the farm? When you're actually touching the fruit, like if you know you go to a farm market and you want to purchase fruits and vegetables, you know, are is there a concern about actually you know touching an item? And yes, and then not uh, taking it. it. I mean, if you you kind of have to touch what, or buy what you touch, right? You may see more prepackaged okay. things. They'll, they'll come already already in a bag. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so that's a possibility that's going to be out All there. Right. Uh, other farm other farm stands are asking that you call ahead, make an order, and then they'll come and you can pay for it online with a credit card. They'll come. You open your trunk, and they'll put this box of what you ordered in the trunk, and away you go. Nobody interacts. Uh, nobody touches anything. Uh, you know, you know, interact and touch with other people, uh, and so some of that is going to go on too. So this this demand um, to locally source things that actually could be a little help to the local farmers. Right, could be a help to smaller farmers, yeah. but to those lar larger farms that sh pack and ship, uh, they may not be able to take advantage of that as much. Yeah. Um, and depending on so what that, happens that with restaurant activity, they may not be providing, you know, there was such a nice farm to table movement in Southwest Michigan that was growing 
um, through a lot of the yeah. restaurants, and that's going to come to at least somewhat of a halt, not maybe a complete total abrupt halt, but probably less as restaurants decide uh, what's going to happen, right? And how many people can they serve and how many times can they turn their tables and that kind of thing. Exactly. That, that's probably another uh, another podcast for you to talk to somebody from that industry mm-hmm. because a lot of restaurants, if they can't go 100%, then they can't, they're not exactly. And, and so that's going to be an issue that, uh, you, like I said, you can make another podcast on that. The other issue that, that our larger growers are going to have, they work off, a lot of their labor comes from um, either down south or, in some cases, uh, Mexico, Central America. So you're America. talking about migrant workers. Yeah. Yes, the, the seasonal migrant workers that come in and what people have probably heard, the H-2A program. Uh, and so a lot of that, a lot of those workers come in, and you know they're screened before they come in, so they know that they're they're okay. But that doesn't mean that they can't get uh, COVID while they're here. And and if a worker gets the virus while they're here, that puts them out of work for three weeks or more because they have to, uh, you know, they have to recover from it. They have to have two, you know, two weeks of uh, isolating isolating from other people, and in the meantime, you know. The living conditions that anybody's under is that they, you could be spreading it to uh, those that are closest to you. And so that continues to be a concern because a lot of our growers aren't capable of housing, you know, multiple sick people well, uh, for extended And there time. are increased travel restrictions now on anybody coming into the United States, which is going to rule out some of those South American um, migrant farm workers, right? Well, no, no, because they're deemed essential well, workers. Agricultural workers are deemed yeah, essential. They have to have okay. a letter. Of, yeah, they're allowed to come in. They have to have a letter of transmittal uh, saying that they're essential and where they're going to work and where they're traveling from and to okay. and all that. But they, they still should be able to come in. Okay. okay so, so there's going to be changes that we're going to have to adjust to. We may see an increase in prices uh, because of all the additional sanitation things that are going to have to go on, you know, you know, people washing and sanitizing their hands in between customers. So it's going to take more time. So the thing we need to tell your listeners is that uh, patience is going to be real important over the next three, four months. Yeah, I know that there, I've been reading a lot about, especially in some of the, the big cities, uh, you know, a lack of food availability, especially for lower income people. And I think what seems frustrating is we have the food in this country right now. It's just the hiccup is making all the changes and transitions to get to the food, get the food to the people that need it in a way that works under coronavirus. Right. It's like trying to stop an ocean liner. Okay. It takes a while for it to stop and start moving in a different direction. Uh, the USDA is actually, uh, as part of the, the stimulus that they just passed, it does have a program where growers can grow specifically for food pantries and be paid through the USDA. So any growers uh, that are interested in doing that need to contact the USDA, uh, the, the, their office here locally, to see if they want to take part of that. Um, the other thing that I think is going to happen is uh, probably going to see more home food preservation. Um, 
as a perhaps as a way to save money uh, or as a way to feel safer about your food because you know where it came from, you know how it was handled, uh, and you know more about it, uh, and so you feel safer with it. So I think there's going to be renewed interest in that. We've already seen people buying more tomato plants, pepper plants, that kind of thing, wanting to grow more things in their mm -hmm. backyard. So you're talking about basically Thanks, freezing, canning, and the storage of uh, of right. produce and food items. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it used to be that you could go to garage sales and you'd see a lot of canning jars right. at garage sales. I don't, I don't think you're going to see them there this year. I think they're going to be in high yeah. demand. Yeah, and you you mentioned the plants, and I know that I've 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 seen that a lot more people are planning on growing some of their own food this year. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen from that is I think they're going to have a new appreciation for farmers, because it's not that easy to grow enough food to feed a family, and to to uh, perhaps can some tomatoes and that kind of thing. So it's a lot harder than mm -hmm. what people think. So this this change has probably changed also for you all at the Extension Center, kind of maybe shifting your focus on what your current objectives are, right? Because everything's changing. Uh, well, the objectives pretty much stay the same. It's just how we do it is what's changing. Uh, can't make uh, calls on farm calls, at least not now. Perhaps later this summer we can. Uh, so we're going to a lot of, uh, you know, send me a picture kind of mm -hmm. things or more more over Zoom uh, that we've been doing a lot of. You know, I'm getting Zoomed out here yeah. in the past couple yeah. months. Um, okay, but but we're, our, our mission is still the same, but carrying it out is a little bit different. In general, what what do you kind of see when you kind of go to the end of this rainbow, if there is one, and we hope there will be, what do you see that situation is going to be leaving farmers in, say at the end of this year or next, or, you know, when there finally is some type of a, of a, of a cure for this virus, where are our farmers going to be in this nation? Well, I, I don't think it's going to put them in a better financial situation than they were coming into it, okay? Unless we get used to paying more for our food uh, in our society because uh, we have a society that's used to fairly low food prices. Now, whether they think that's the case or not, uh, that's true because our in our country, in the United States, about 9% of your income goes to food, and that includes eating out food. Okay. In uh, European countries, uh, you know, which are, are as advanced as ours, they're upwards of 15 to 18% of their income goes for food products. So they're a bit used to paying more for their food than what we are. And so I think that one thing that might come out of this is the consumer is going to have to get used to paying more of their income for food, and hopefully that makes it back to the farmer. Um, because right now, the farmer hasn't had an increase in price in years, decades, actually, when you figure in inflation. Well, sometimes when you talk about people having to get used to paying more for something, 
uh, along with that comes maybe feelings of negativity and resentment. And I, I think what you're kind of what you've been saying through a lot of your conversation today is that you think that this situation is actually going to cause people maybe to feel more kindly towards farmers and more thankful towards the opportunity to be able to locally source our food, even if it is going to cost a little more. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, that's a possibility. I, I hope it's a possibility that does come to pass um, because farming is a, a very risky business. I don't know of any other industry that, that like farming, that puts things in the ground, spends a lot of money, not even knowing where they're, what, what price they're going to get for it at the time they plant. Yeah, or if, it's, different or if it's even going to come else. up. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Or if they're going to get a freeze or a frost or something the, like that. Definitely the, the highest type of gambling, right? Anything else that you'd like to add or talk about today? Uh, no, I just, just uh, like I said, be patient uh, with uh, your food purchases this year. Uh, it's going to be a long year for a lot of people. We will get through it. Uh, and we've gotten through things in the past, so we'll do it again. Uh, we'll probably have some changes at the other end of it, uh, probably some good changes. Um, like I said, maybe some decentralization of things so that you know, when one, one part of the, the hub gets a problem, then everything else doesn't fall apart. Um, so I think that might change. And again, I hope that uh, people appreciate the true heroes uh, of our society, you know, most of the time, you know, we look at he our heroes as being sports figures and Hollywood celebrities and you know people like that. When really the true heroes are the people that are right around us, you know, working at the, the supermarket, working in our hospitals, our first responders, our farmers. Uh, those that are the true, true heroes. I do hope that people will come out of this with a greater appreciation for the agricultural community and for the farmers. And what we're probably going to be short on this year, based on weather, peaches, plums? Uh, locally, uh, peaches, okay. plums, cherries. Um, apples will probably be okay because uh, you know, Michigan ships a fair amount of apples, so we won't have a shortage of apples in Michigan. We might not have the apples to ship, but I think we'll be okay. And all the vegetables uh, should not be. And an uh, it sounds like a lot of farm markets are still going to be opening up uh, during the season, but there'll just be a lot of changes. And I might call on you again um, shortly when we get more into kind of the farm market season and you can uh, appraise us of what's happening with that, if that's all right. Uh, yes, do that. But th they should be open probably, but there will be some more structure than there has been in the past. Probably have uh, booths farther apart uh, at farmers markets, uh, and like I said, probably no music, so people don't. And fruit linger. stands. I mean, there are a lot of you know grower fruit stands that you know that are you know along the roadsides and that, and hopefully those will be open, but maybe just operating a little differently as well. Yeah. Yes. And um, would you like to mention your website? Because I know that there are a lot of resources available through the uh, the MSU Extension site. Uh, yes. What I would just mention is that the best thing for the uh, people to do is just Google MSU okay. Extension uh, and go and start there because you can go all kinds of places, you know, fruits, vegetables, row crops, 4-H, 
and everything else that Extension offers. And that's well, the best as always, we could have talked way longer. You're such a, a wealth of information always and so well-spoken and so well-prepared with your knowledge and your skill and your awareness of what's happening in the agricultural community. So I thank you for the, the time that you gave to us uh, and to all the people listening today. Dr. Ron Goldie is the Senior Extension Educator at the MSU Extension Center in Benton Harbor. Thank you for your time. Keep staying safe, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank okay, you, Dr. You Goldie. Thank you. I'm Brenda Lane. Thanks so much for listening. Simply stepping inside Frederick and Kimberly's Aveda Salon will have you falling in love with the proprietary scents of Aveda products for hair, skin, and aromatherapy. Aveda products are environmentally friendly, and millions already trust Aveda with their hair and body. However, due to coronavirus closure of non-essential businesses in Michigan, Frederick and Kimberly's Aveda is following that order for everyone's safety. To ensure you can still experience your favorite Aveda products, including Shampure, Cherry Almond, Beautifying, Rosemary Mint, and Stress Fix. Visit frederickandkimberleys.com and click on Shop, and the shipping's free. So continue to shop Aveda for hair, body, and skin care at frederickandkimberleys.com. That's Frederick with a C. Brenda Lane, an underpinnings podcast, is presented by Frederick and Kimberly's Aveda Salon in St. Joseph and Meister Witkowski Photography in Stevensville. Also sponsored by Full Circle Cafe and Espresso Bar in Stevensville. To see resources related to this podcast, for sponsorship information, or suggest a topic, visit underpinningsmarketing.com. Follow Underpinnings Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Brenda Lane, an underpinnings podcast is produced by Jackie Beisel at Underpinnings Marketing. Thank you for listening and share with your friends.